Inflammation occurs because the cells of your immune system, we know the monocytes, the macrophages, the um, cinephils, the natural killer cells, mast cells, and then your adaptive, that's innate, and then your adaptive immune system, your T cells and your B cells are responding to something. They're not going to respond to nothing. There has to be something. Well, if you think about it, the majority of the things that they respond to are probably pathogens, those bacteria, viruses, fungi, mold is a big one. Um, It could be toxicity, toxins. It could be glyphosate. It could be pesticides. Stress can trigger your immune system. ACE, the polysaccharides and ACE manin in aloe vera specifically modulate your immune system. And I know you can talk more on this. So I look at it as how does, how do the things that I recommend people help actually upstream, upstream, not downstream. Medication is downstream. We're upstream. You are listening to the Dr. Haley show, the podcast dedicated to helping you optimize your health. Each episode, there will be an interview or a message to help you discover better health. We will be featuring health radicals on the show to bring new ideas to the table, as well as doubling down on key fundamentals to support you living your best life. Your host is no other than the founder of Haley Nutrition, Dr. Michael Haley. Dr. LaGreca learned about interstitial cystitis the hard way. She had it. Her pain and problems led her to educate and heal herself. Her experience inspired her to enroll in a doctorate program and obtain certifications in functional diagnostics and clinical nutrition. Now, Dr. Mandy is a health educator that specializes in investigating the root cause of ailments and helps people through functional diagnostic nutrition. Those suffering from interstitial cystitis can also find help in her online help course found at ichealer.com. Today, we're talking about interstitial cystitis. We have Dr. Mandy LaGreca on the show. And Mandy, thank you for joining me today. Well, thanks for having me. You know, what is your story? How did you get into helping people with interstitial cystitis? That's really simple. I have it too. (laughs) So the passion comes from within. Um, I started with my symptoms at age 31. Although now that I look back, I realize I probably had some urinary issues even through college because I was always at the bathroom. I had urinary frequency and they even nicknamed me the pisser. Oh when I was uh, growing up uh, and through college, because I used to go to the bathroom a lot. So um, yeah, I probably started then, but then I was diagnosed officially at age 31 when my daughter was born. And um, if I can just describe the pain that comes with this, it's absolutely debilitating. I don't wish this upon my enemies. You don't, I mean, I can't even describe it's like burning, sharp, painful urination, almost like glass was passing through and mm. I didn't have a UTI. So mm. that's kind of how my journey started. Just trying to navigate my own illness, going through all of the uh, ups and downs of the Western medicine way of doing things. None of that stuff worked for me. And so I decided that it was time for something different. And that's when I kind of, the journey just brought me here. You know, I think everything happens for a reason. Yeah. And obviously you didn't, you know, have these symptoms and this condition and then just start helping people. In fact, on your website, 
there is, and I find found this interesting about Mandy page. So you go by Mandy, which to me is a very humble way to go when you have so many letters that are before and after your name. <laughs> Can you tell our audience a little bit uh, about your education and how you got all those letters, what they are before and after your name? Sure. I'm a doctor in clinical nutrition. I have a doctorate from Maryland University of Integrative Health. Um, so how all this started was um, I went back to college and I got a master's degree in biology um, was a teacher. So I'm a natural born teacher. I love educating people. And that's kind of what I do in my practice anyway. And then um, as I started to go through my own healing journey, working with integrative practitioners, I got really interested in functional medicine. And so I decided to get my FDN. So I'm a functional Di- diagnostic nutrition practitioner, which is a type of a health coach. And then after that, I got my CCN, which is a certified clinical nutritionist. And I was really into it. And then I decided I'm just going to go ahead and sign up for the doctorate. And so I did. And I went through that program. And then after I um, sat for the CNS exam, certified nutrition specialist allowed me to get a license. So um, that's what I am now. And um, I love what I do. Yeah, helping people's uh, that's the reward. The hearing back from the people that you help, and and I have a question coming up about that in just a little bit. We'll come back to that one. I looked up interstitial cystitis because honestly, I know very little bit about it. And really, for me, there's there's two ways to really help people when they have a condition. Um, one is the completely blind approach, which is where I tend to go in and say, I don't know much about that. What I do know is how the human body works and kind of what it needs. And that most illnesses are really a set of symptoms from not having those things. So I can help you from that perspective. And then there's the complete medical approach where we really studied this condition and, and we know, you know, what causes it and how to fix it. And then there's the, and I think this is you, which is in between those extremes, because you're not like me that knows so little bit about it, but you know a lot about it. And you probably know the medical and look at it from a natural perspective on the things that we could do to help. And it was interesting because the CDC website, cdc.gov, number one listing for interstitial cystitis, it suggests that medically very little is known about it. So idiopathic. Idiopathic. Okay. Yeah. But that's not true. (laughs) In your words, what is it? It's inflammation. I mean, I know that's oversimplified, but ultimately when you have pain, you have inflammation, right? Think about when you have pain, there's heat, there's redness. Generally that's signs of inflammation. So how does it happen? That's where the idiopathic portion comes in medically because they haven't really looked beyond um, medical reasons why. Generally in medicine, they're looking for pathogenic triggers like infectious generally or genetic. But in this case, because a lot of it is dietary and environmental like toxicity, It's not something I believe, and I didn't go to medical school, like that type of medical school. So what they're learning, I, from what I know and what understand, they don't teach them too much nutrition or too much of things related to environmental lifestyle, even mental, you know, psychosomatic triggers. A lot of my clients have history of trauma, for example. 
A lot of that doesn't come up. But if you look a little deeper, there are a few medical doctors who have gone a little further. One of them, his name is Dr. Afrin. He is very well known in the mast cell community. And so he has drawn the connection to IC and mast cell activation. And in fact, if you look at some of the urology published journals, they discuss the involvement of mast cells in IC pathogenesis. So there is something going on with the immune system. It is definitely immune mediated. It's an immune problem, but look around us. I think we're dealing with immune problems all around us anyway. So it's not abnormal to see these types of diseases arise. In fact, almost all autoimmune auto-inflammatory diseases are a dysfunction of your immune system. Can we agree? Mm. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you know, whether that's gut related or most likely, <laughs> I yes. would imagine. Well, that's 80% of our immune system, right? 70 to 80 resides in the GI tract. Yeah. yeah. You mentioned some of the symptoms that you experienced. Um, were there earlier symptoms that you may have picked up on? And the reason I think this is important, um, the CDC site where I you know, read about it, let me see if I can find it really quick mm-hmm. because it was um, the, the numbers were ridiculous. It was something like one in 100,000 people, it was believed that like one in 100,000 people have IC, interstitial cystitis, and that was updated to probably closer to 12% of women. Well, that's I think, big... I think it's higher than that. Oh, that's reported. Yeah, definitely yeah. higher than one in, in 100,000. I know that because all the phone calls that I take where people ask me uh, about this you know, they they call and they wonder if aloe vera could help. We can talk about that in a bit. Yeah. But now it went from suggesting one in a hundred thousand from early numbers to literally up to 12%. And you think it might even be more. So I do for those people that might be getting this, what would be some of the, before the intense pain, what are some of the early signs? Urinary frequency. Yeah. And is that when you say that, it, does it mean lots of times in the day when, and are you peeing a lot? Are you more thirsty or is it just? No, kind of a- it's urgency and frequency. So you, when you go, you got to go almost like IBS, you know, how IBS when you got to go, you got to go. And then like, you can lose control. And it's the same thing. You have running to the bathroom, leaking on yourself, and then also going often. So like, it's not normal for someone to have to use the bathroom every 15 minutes, for example. Yeah. So when you, you should go, be able to go hours between voiding. Yeah, so almost like having a much smaller bladder with less control. Um, yeah, but I don't think everyone has reduced bladder capacity. I mean, some will because the inflammation is run so deep, especially if you've had it for a long time. There is scar tissue and fibrosis that occurs in the bladder. That's absolutely certain. And as a result of that, the bladder does uh, the capacity. They say the bladder shrinks. The bladder's not shrinking. You're just developing scar tissue and fibrotic tissue inside the bladder that's causing it to have less capacity. That never happened to me. I actually had full bladder capacity. What was happening with me was I was having a lot of retention. So I wasn't urinating everything all at once. So I had to use the bathroom more often Mm. because I wasn't releasing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And how was it medically diagnosed? Medically, it is um, diagnosed via a cystoscopy. Generally, I never did that though. I refused, Um, but it's very invasive. So it's a very, so the way some doctors will do it is they'll go invasively and they'll do a cystoscopy and every once in a while, they'll even do a hydrodescension. Will they, will they blow up the bladder with um, water and it allows them to scope it better, but also somehow somehow provides relief temporarily, Mm. or you can go the way my doctor did. And he did it based off of just symptoms. 
So like a Mm -hmm. symptom questionnaire, uh, I guess that's called diagnosis of exclusion. We exclude Mm -hmm. everything else. You have these symptoms, therefore you have IC. Right. Those are the only ways right now. Um, Oh, there's another test that some people will do, but I don't think they do it as much anymore. It's called the potassium sensitivity test where they'll expose the bladder to potassium. And if it has a reaction and burns, then you're diagnosed. I never did that either. I didn't. Yeah. Yeah. So it seems to be like almost like that, you know, catch all if you're not having, you know, we, we can't figure exactly what it is. Therefore it must be this. And it's a generic general inflammatory, mm-hmm. you know, okay. But, may, but, but let me mention something. Interstitial cystitis is actually part of a larger syndrome called bladder pain syndrome, BPS. Sometimes you'll see it as painful bladder syndrome, PBS in some journals. So BPS, PBS, I believe in parts of Europe, they've already separated IC from BPS as two separate diseases. Although the umbrella term is bladder pain syndrome, the IC is now being considered people who have a specific Hunter's lesion, Hunter's ulcers that show up on a cystoscopy, which is based off of a virus now, polyoma B, I think it's called virus. Very small percentage of people have that, maybe. 10%, 5%, 10%, and then BPS. But we're, we still call it IC in this country because that's what we know it as. But like, if I were to go truly by definition, it's I actually had bladder pain syndrome and 90% of the people who are diagnosed have bladder pain syndrome. Just to understand there are different subtypes yeah. and there's that subtype with the hunters that actually has to show up on that cystoscopy. So you can have a negative, clean cystoscopy and have none of the lesions and still be diagnosed because you still have the pain. Does that make sense? It sure does. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and the reason I wanted to talk to you about this today is because we do get a lot of phone calls, um, you know, at the Allo company and some people want to know how to get help with this and help with that. When it comes to, I see, I have very little to offer and they want to know, does aloe vera help with interstitial cystitis to which I say, you know, scientifically, I'm completely unaware of anything connecting a benefit from aloe vera, drinking aloe vera with IC. Why don't you talk to, and I point them to ichealer.com, yeah. your website. Is that still the best source? Yeah. Okay. And I know, obviously, you've trial and error figured some things out. How is it treated medically? And what would you do in addition to or instead of what medicine has to offer? So from what I've learned from a lot of the people I've worked with medically, the first line that people are treating it with is with a couple of drugs. Um, one is amitriptyline, which um, is it's used as an antidepressant, but it does help desensitize the pain. I've actually just learned that it's also a mast cell stabilizer. So maybe that's another mechanism of action, but I don't think that's why it's prescribed. I think it's prescribed because it does reduce the pain. So that's, uh, has a lot of side effects. So that was one that I tried. I did try that and I started gaining weight and I'm like, nope, not for me. So I didn't do that one. Um, the one that used to do a lot more until the FDA had to, had some released some issues with class action lawsuits related to uh, problems with the eye was Almiron. Mm. You might've run into that in your research. Okay. That's supposed to coat the lining of the bladder, but the problem is that's assuming that there's a problem with the lining of the bladder. 
So my understanding was it doesn't really work like that. <laughs> so a lot of people said they went on Elmeron and they didn't have a lot of um, improvements from that. Right. Side effect, hair loss. Oh. That's why I didn't do that one. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, like you know, it's, it's not just yeah. the appearance, but if my hair is falling out, what else is happening to my body? I'm glad you're bringing up the side effects because, you know, sometimes we think, oh, I have this, I'm supposed to take that and everything's good. No, every medicine, I look at it like this. If medicine's going to get someone sick that's well, then, you know, it must make your health better, right? So if we give it to a healthy person, they'll probably get even more healthy, right? No. If you give medicine to a completely perfect, healthy person, they become less healthy. It doesn't move us in a direction of health. That doesn't mean it can't be beneficial and help our uh, life happiness, quality of life. Right. Yes. That's what we're always looking for is, is QL, right? We're always looking for that. And that's really ultimately the goal, which is why I'm mixed when I am a believer of, I was on antibiotics a lot myself. I did take a lot of antibiotics for this. Um, at that time we thought I had an embedded infection. So that's another root cause of IC is embedded infection. So listen, if you need an antibiotic, I mean, people ask me sometimes I have a UTI, should I take an antibiotic? And I see these horrific advice they're getting on Facebook. That's why I call it Dr. Facebook. I'm like, Facebook's not your doctor. No, if you have an infection, take an antibiotic. I mean, at the end of the day, that's why they were, they were developed. It's the overuse that we have to be careful of. So I think the pendulum, when when medications came to this world, they saved lives. They absolutely did. And penicillin was invented. It saved lives. The problem is the pendulum swung in the other way. We started over-prescribing. But I think we're starting to bring that pendulum back down. I think yeah. people are starting to become aware and we're coming back to center because ultimately nature does have its own healing like aloe vera. It's part of nature. It's been around before medications. How can we harness that? And that's kind of where our job is as clinical nutritionists is to figure out, you know, I'm integrative. So I believe how can we have a balance between medications and yeah. harnessing nature? Because nature is not available at everyone's fingertips. I mean, with your aloe, we, you know, you'd have to buy it. If you didn't exist, we'd have to go get our own and have to learn how to fillet it. I'm sure people would do that, but we're thankful for people like you to have these kind of products. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I almost look at it, medicine kind of like, you know, I enjoy eating and I love eating ice cream. Now I haven't had ice cream probably in at least a year, but if I ate it as much as I wanted, although I had enjoyed it at the time, overall things for me would change. I'd probably gain weight and eventually have less health. And medicine can be used at certain times for a limited benefit, but if we rely on them, they take away from who we are. So we are one of nature, you yeah. know, and, and and ultimately, you know, your biochemistry is really everything, your own biochemistry, which Mm. is why I love what I do, because I can peek in your biochemistry with labs. I can peek in running a nutrigenomic panel, looking at your genetics to see what your, you know, what your predispositions are. Um, So that's the beauty of, you know, clinical and functional nutrition is the ability to do that. Back to aloe, however, um, I discovered this, um, well, you know, interesting aloe was being used because desert harvest has an aloe vera product for IC. They specifically market it for IC. Um, I tried theirs. I didn't really see a ton of benefit at the time. Maybe I wasn't taking enough. I don't know. It's freeze dried, 
But then I encountered your product because I was listening to Chris. Uh, he has that Chris beat cancer. I think you had an interview with him. Um, I don't remember his full name, Chris. Beat yeah, cancer. Chris Wark actually uh, interviewed me at one point. So I'm on the, uh, there's a aloe vera video on the crispycancer.com website. Okay. That's most of the where I ran into him. And um, I was amazed by what he was telling the audience about Ace Manon and aloe vera and his cancer. And so I started doing the research. I went to PubMed and I was like, oh my God, there's a plethora of information about this. It's not just aloe vera. It's not just Ace Manon. It's all the polysaccharides mm-hmm. that are in aloe. So when I think about aloe, I don't think about it as the way Desert Harvest advertises it as it's coating the bladder. No, I look a little deeper as what are the mechanisms of action of the polysaccharides and the ACE manin on your immune system? Because right. ultimately this is an immune dysfunction. It's inflammation does involve the immune system. There's a trigger for inflammation. You're not just going to have inflammation just because you have it. Inflammation occurs because the cells of your immune system we know the monocytes, the macrophages, the um, cinephils, the natural killer cells, mast cells, and then your t- adaptive, that's innate, and then your adaptive immune system, your T cells and your B cells are responding to something. They're not going to respond to nothing. There has to be something. Well, if you think about it, the majority of the things that they respond to are probably pathogens, those bacteria, viruses, fungi. Mold is a big one. Um, It could be toxicity, toxins. It could be glyphosate. It could be pesticides. Stress can trigger your immune system. The polysaccharides and ACE manin in aloe vera specifically modulate your immune system. And I know you can talk more on this. So I look at it as how how do the things that I recommend people help actually upstream, upstream, not downstream. Medication is downstream. We're upstream. Right. I like that. Are you enjoying the show thus far? One of the many health secrets that we have covered on the show is all around aloe vera, specifically drinking raw aloe vera. Our aloe vera has helped our customers effectively heal their gut, increase their intestine health, lower inflammation in the body, eliminate and or decrease acid reflux, have glowing skin and hair, and so much more. Now, as a frequent member of our audience, you will be exposed to exclusive specials and coupon codes for the awesome products manufactured by Haley Nutrition. That's right, for simply being awesome and tuning in, you can get a mini discount to help you optimize and better your health. To see how we can help and support you on your health journey, tune into the episodes and listen for coupon codes that you can use at www.haleynutrition.com before you make your orders of raw aloe vera. Once again, it's www.haleynutrition.com. Now back to the show. So you, why don't you talk a little bit then now that we're talking about the immune system about, you know, what you know about aloe and the immune system? Yeah. You know, I found out, um, actual real research on this scientific. In fact, in, in a lot of our customers actually come because they're using aloe vera uh, either as replacement to or alongside their medical cancer treatments, which is a big immune system problem. And I realized that even chemotherapy companies have used aloe vera in research alongside chemotherapy. Now, one of my favorite 
ones is 240 patients, all stage four, that were given one ounce, only one ounce of aloe vera per day with their chemotherapy. Actually, it was 119 were given the aloe vera. That's, what does that come out to? A quarter? Uh, yeah, that's not even that's not even a quarter cup. Well, yeah, one ounce is yeah. It's it's yes. It's because there's um, well, there's eight ounces in a cup, so it's right, an eighth so, of a cup. Yeah, eighth yeah. of a cup. And 119 given the one ounce, and 121 just given the chemotherapy. And they put them into four categories, like you know, um, no improvement, mild improvement, more improvement, and then the fourth category was the uh, what they called a complete result. And out of the 119. With the aloe vera, 10 of them were given the complete result category, but the ones that didn't get the aloe, only three. So it was more than three times in the complete result compared to, you know, so obviously something's happening. And they researched the ACE manin and realized that the primary sugar molecule is mannose, which seems to interfere with the cancer cell ability to consume and metabolize glucose, which is what feeds them. Ah. There's so many possible pathways to how does aloe vera help the immune system? Um, You know, it makes the gut healthier, which is where the immune system is. Um, Hippocrates Health Institute realized giving small amounts with supplements, they tested the blood for the supplements and realized the nutrients that they tested were higher in every single person that got the aloe vera with their supplements. So somehow it affects absorption. Yeah, it which, carry, helps carry it in. I, I did notice that. So having more nutrients probably helps your body work more like it's supposed to and probably mm-hmm. supports the immune system uh, better. Somehow it lowers and stabilizes blood sugar levels in people that have diabetes. You know, there's all kinds of mechanisms, potential ways, pathways. It increases your tumor necrosis factor, interferon, and interleukins, which helps wake up the immune system uh, to where the viruses and cancer cells are. Um, When the cancer cells have that mannose molecule attached onto them, they can't consume it. They can't let go of it. Apparently, it's a signal saying that I'm a cell that you have to deal with and the macrophages come and eat them. <laughs> you know, oh. there's lots of neat possible pathways that it might help someone that doesn't have their full health. You know, you, you have, and I know it's not all about aloe vera and I don't even know if you mentioned in it in, in the course, but you have an online course for people that have interstitial cystitis. What can you tell me about that? So I put together this course because I realized that learning about this really, okay, to take charge of your health, you got to understand why you have what you have. I mean, come on. At the end of the day, if someone just tells you just take this and you don't know why you're taking it, you're not going to be motivated to continue. So I was like, let me create this course. And so I went through everything I learned in my academics and I kind of try to summarize it, even though it's 10 hours of lecture time. Um, into this module that goes through all the different possible root causes. And I go through the gut. I go through the um, immune, I'm sorry. uh, I talk about inflammation. I talk about the immune system, a little crash course, the gut, stress and how it impacts the immune system, detoxification, and really just helping people understand what's going on inside of your body. And actually, let me show you, I have this, um, yeah, it's just the eight known root causes of IC. I, I wanted to, you know, half of the battle with doing what I do, this is a very complex thing. IC is complex, diseases are complex, and communicating it to people in a manner where they can 
digest it, <laughs> no pun intended, where they can digest it is complicated because they don't have a background in medicine. If they don't have a background in any of the stuff that we know, it's going to be foreign to them. And you can't expect them to open up a PubMed journal and be able to synthesize everything. It's just, it's, you can't expect that. So I wanted to make this really simple. So I made this diagram of the eight causes of, of, of IC. And so I kind of narrowed it down to inflammation, gut imbalances, trauma, big one, big one, infections, genetics, toxins, food intolerances, and nutrient deficiency. So those are like the eight. And through that, that's the course kind of walks you through all those causes. Right. Um, it's, you know, it's long. I mean, but the people who've actually spent the time to go through it and synthesize it have gotten the most benefit because they were able to take the information and apply it to their own issues because mm -hmm. no two people are the same. And that's where sometimes it can get frustrating when people are used to the Western mindset where they're like, tell me what's wrong with me and tell me what to do. And my answer is, I don't know much about you. Like I have to figure out what's going on with you. Just because you have bladder pain doesn't mean that you're going to be similar to the other person with bladder pain or that person with bladder pain. The reasons are all different, right. even though the symptoms are similar. But even amongst the symptoms, there's a wide range of variation in the symptoms. You can Not everyone has, for example, urethral pain. I had mostly urethral, but some women have just pelvic pain or just bladder pain. And it does affect men, by the way. I want to mention that. Men are affected. I've had a handful of men come to me with this issue. Generally, they have more also prostate-related issues mm. along with the IC. But men are also afflicted. Mm. Well, all right. So, and I like that. And for the listeners, you know, I'm a chiropractor. And before becoming a chiropractor, I had an eight-month-long, barely-able-to-walk problem from my low back while I was in college and I kind of figured out on my own how to help it in the course of about two weeks towards the end of that eight months, which is what pushed me to be a chiropractor. I said, man, I got to help other people with this. And I became a darn good chiropractor, especially helping people with low back pain. Mandy, Dr. LaGreca, she went through this, experienced it, studied it, and in her course is presenting the likely causes and action steps that yeah, you can take absolutely. to correct those. Um, I like going through those things with people. And a lot of times it's like, which way, which one of those do you think you're not doing? Or which one of those areas do you think uh, needs improvement? And the, from what you told me, it sounds like as people are, everyone's different. So as they're going through this, there's probably going to be some areas that stand out in their minds as they're listening, following the course and say, this is what I have to really focus on and I can make improvements here. So I like that. I like the way yeah, you do that. I think generally though, I could say everyone has something with the immune system for sure uh, is definitely dysfunction. Why that's individual and what's like, it's kind of like a, you know, teeter totter, which one's heavier than the other. Like for me personally, my gut was almost everything because even when I look at the symptoms of mast cell activation syndrome, which generally most people with IC have some level of this and they see all the symptoms associated with it, you would think mast cells would mean allergies, like, you know, anaphylaxis, eczema, itchy eyes, coughing, you know, the typical I had none of that. So you wouldn't have even classified me as mast cell, but there's a strong component of digestive imbalances related to mast cells because the mast cells, there's tons of mast cells in the digestive tract. In fact, mast cells are found anywhere that there's, um, uh, anytime that there's, a, um, 
barrier. So um, it separates the inside and the outside world. Mm-hmm. So your mouth, your nose, your gut, bladder, and vagina. So I, when I look back at some of those symptoms, I'm like, wow, the only ones I had were digestive and bladder related, but that's, that's okay. You can have some have just localized pain, but then there's other people who have a variety of other symptoms as well as the bladder pain, such as eczema, acne, skin issues, hormonal imbalances, brain fog, fatigue, bloating, you know, um, anything, any kind of pain in the body can also go along with this condition. It's not just bladder pain. Generally, the younger people have just bladder. The older people have other diseases along with it. So if you're like in your twenties and you have bladder pain, you're kind of early in the game. And I always tell my younger clients, I'm like, Hey, you're early in this game. This is the best time to start healing mm. because as you get older, it you only add on to it and you just get worse and worse and worse. And then before yeah. you know it, you're in your fifties and you've got like six other diseases along with IC. Yeah. That's yeah. nobody wants that. Yeah, that makes sense. Hopefully people aren't hearing this where they're at the, you know, worst stage, but finding out early and taking charge now. Um, I, so I, I visited your website, ichealer.com, and there was a tab courses and underneath it, uh, we find this particular course. You have a new course coming out. Yeah, I'm working right now. I, um, I just bought the domain Aviva immune. <laughs> and what prompted me to do this is because of, um, COVID, you know, and all the viruses and people are just starting to wonder, like, how can I protect myself? And you can, you absolutely can. You can, there's prevention and there's also things you can do nutritionally while you're sick. And there's also things you need to do after the illness, because this virus, I think the flu does the same thing. It it comes with a lot of inflammation. So there's like four phases of the virus. There's prevention, there's illness, infection, there's um, inflammation, and then there's recovery. What I think I'm finding out is a lot of people will think that once their virus is gone, like, oh, I'm better. They think everything's better. But in reality, there's a whole nother area that you need to approach on from an inflammatory perspective that happens on the tail end of the virus. So I wanted to educate people on these four different phases and nutritionally how they can support that. And so you can, you can support it with things like aloe that would be on my list, um, AHCC, vitamin C, vitamin D, zinc, all the basic stuff, but also if you haven't gotten sick yet, what can you do now to prevent? And a lot of that is geared towards reducing your whole body inflammation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I actually just got over COVID, uh, had it in July of 2021. Woo. That was hard. Yeah. That was I, I had it too. I had it last month. I, okay. <laughs> Probably about the same time. And you know, even now, um, having tested negative more than a month ago, there's probably still a little residual of, I want to clear my throat. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it, it was, I'll say that that was actually the worst illness, um, that I've ever gone through. Meaning I've never had a fever lasting more than two or three days, but this was a fever for more than a week. And, you know, Oh, wow. Back, you got hit hard back pain and just no energy. I mean, to where you didn't even want to get out of bed to pee, you know, oh, wow. <laughs> you did, but you didn't want to. <laughs> and yeah, I, didn't was, have that ex- I didn't have that experience. There was no interest in hydrating or eating none at all. I had to weigh myself daily to make sure I was staying hydrated. Um, because did you lose your sense of smell, you know, for me, for whatever reason, I haven't had the sense of smell for years. 
Um, but taste was definitely um, affected. And my wife had it alongside with me. And, and she just after a month, uh, I, I was making coffee and she said, I smell coffee. I said, you smell coffee. And then she realized, oh, I smell coffee. You know, it finally came back after after the month. Uh, so that was an exciting moment for her. But um, can I say something? If you yeah. lost your sense of smell, you might want to get your zinc levels tested. Okay. There's a correlation awesome. to zinc and loss of smell. You know, it's interesting because uh, with COVID, I must admit, I've been uh, taking zinc recently when I, when the symptoms start, I, I took them just a little bit here and there. And then I started taking it as I knew I was getting COVID symptoms and through it all. Um, and I started questioning myself, am I starting to smell again? So I appreciate that. And now I know to look into that connection and see if I have a zinc deficiency. That would be something. <laughs> yeah, there's actually uh, copper. Co- people have uh, oftentimes when they zinc deficiency, they have high copper and there's their antagonist. So sometimes uh, if someone's concerned, we can actually run labs for that to okay. see where the coppers are unless zinc is. And oftentimes they're finding out that. And if you have zinc deficiency going into COVID, you're higher likelihood to lose your sense of smell while having it. And oh, wow. I have chronically low zinc as well. Hmm. Um, I think if there's a genetic transporter issue with me because I take zinc and I'm still always low. So I did lose my sense of smell for about two weeks, but I didn't have the same experience with you, but I did follow this protocol that I'm going to be sharing nutritionally. I'm going to be sharing with this new course. Um, wow. and I followed it to the T and I really, truly believe that's why, cause Terry also got it and he got sick with me and he followed the protocol and we both had very minimal symptoms. I think we were sick for maybe five or six days. Mm. So yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited to be able to share this with people. Awesome. I love it. You know, and it, it, when it was COVID, um, people, I'm going to say this only, yeah. everyone's been asking, and I'm not asking you to divulge this information. For me, I was not vaccinated. And I evaluated daily, did I make the right decision? Because I asked patients of mine that got COVID that weren't vaccinated, and some said they wish they had gotten the vaccine. Every day, regardless of how I felt, for me, I was glad that I did not, and I'm happy with the choice I made. It was never that bad. But at the same time, I recognize that it was bad enough that some of my friends probably would not have tolerated what I experienced. Yeah, I, I, it's funny you bring this up because somebody asked me the other day, it was a friend of ours who's 85 years old, and he asked me, and I said it's a case-by-case situation with that. My opinion, my professional opinion is, I think it's case-by-case. And I agree with I agree with you with that. Yeah, Yeah. so uh, just because, you know, we're talking about this and saying, you know, for me saying I wasn't vaccinated, I went through it and it was hard. For me, I'm super glad to have natural immunity, which I believe is going to be a lot stronger and longer lasting Um, than anything medically that I could have had done, which isn't a guarantee either. That was part of it too, Um, because we believe that we caught it from someone at a party that was fully vaccinated who came up down with their symptoms, uh, you know, a day or two before us. Um, So kind of interesting how that happens. It's not a guarantee that we would not have gotten it. No, but was the flu, was the flu vaccine ever? Yeah. What was the flu vaccine ever? That's the question I ask people because people always ask me this. And I mean, I, you know, I think I have my professional opinion, but I think everyone has the ability to make a decision for themselves. But my question back to you, to everyone is, well, when you got the flu vaccine and you got flu, did you ever question the efficacy of that? Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, the 
virus is going to do what it's going to do and it's going to mutate and it's going to create variants. And then we have no control over that. Yeah. But if you're 85 years old and you could die from the flu, then if the vaccine reduces the um, severity of it for you, right. then that's the right decision for you. And that's yeah. why I think everyone should take a look case by case and also look at your health history because yeah. your health history and age, age is a big factor. I mean, children by nature of being children have higher innate immune yeah. system. Their innate immune system is stronger. As you age, your innate immune system starts to decline and your adaptive immune system starts to get stronger. That term is called immunosenescence. It's, it's a phenomenon. So as you're older, you are going to be more prone to infections. Yeah. All my, all my kids in the same house did not get it or mm-hmm. they've already had it, but their symptoms were so low. We couldn't tell, you know, we you don't test know. Their antibodies, you'll know for sure. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. And, and whether you vaccinate or not, you know, we're getting on a whole different subject, whether you vaccinate or not get to your ideal weight. You know, if you have blood sugar levels that are up here and you're 200 pounds overweight, you know, work on both of those and your high blood pressure and stuff. Okay. Just getting to the right weight uh, mm-hmm. can so increase your, your, uh, well, that is always the first line. That is always the first line. The first line is always we always talk about like weight and height. Make sure you're at the right weight for your height. If you're not, get there first. And then everything else comes after that because a lot of times your problems get better just when you lose weight because fat is pro-inflammatory. Just having fat on your body is pro-inflammatory. But even when it comes to inflammation, you can be, you know, a lot of the clients I work with are actually underweight. Well, that's the opposite problem Mm because they're underweight because they're not absorbing the nutrients and they're Mm -hmm. not assimilating what they're eating correctly because they have mm-hmm. digestive you know, insufficiency. Yeah. So it's just as mm-hmm. bad to be underweight as it is to be overweight. In a wow. lot of yeah. Yeah. I, and I've never really thought about that because I've never had that problem myself. I always tend to struggle with the, I just love to eat and, Me too. and, and gains. Yeah. Oh, well, I can just look at cake and it comes right to my hips. <laughs> Um, I, I love your website. You got a lot of information there. I, I, I didn't check do you. And cause I know you do a lot on YouTube. Do you have links to your other places where people can find you? I see healer. Is that the number one place to go? And yep. then they're connected. Yep. So my Instagram is uh, right on the bottom. So if you scroll down on my homepage, there's my Instagram feed that comes right to my webpage. You can just go there, follow me on Instagram. I do a lot of rich content. I do a lot of reels. I also have a YouTube and links should be there on the website as well. A YouTube. Um, I'm not really on Twitter. Not yet. Um, and then I just got on TikTok, but I'm not a fan of it. I don't know. Everyone's like, you gotta get on TikTok. I'm like, oh gosh, do I really have to? <laughs> Ugh. Oh, so boy. I did, but I'm not really as active on there as I am Instagram. Instagram is my thing. So if you want to follow me, you want to get some rich content. I tr- I post at least three days a week on Instagram. I do posts, I do videos, and I do reels. Yeah, awesome. You know, I want to thank you for who you are um, as a healer. Your wealth of knowledge, taking time to share it with with me and with our audience here at Haley Nutrition. Um, and also thank you for your transparency on your website, ichealer.com. Uh, you go into your history and how you really got to this place. And, um, you know, you open yourself up to the trials, the real trials that you went through. So um, that's bold. And just thank you. And thank you for being on my show. Thank you so much. It was a very difficult journey, but I have to thank people like you for enlightening me on different ideas that I would have never encountered. So I think, you know, one thing I really love about life is when one door opens, it opens other doors. You just have to be willing to open that first door. 
And so that's where I feel like people like you have been very, very beneficial for my growth, my own personal growth. So, and I I really love interviewing you, all the interviews that we've had, Mm -hmm. um, people have really benefited from them and, Mm -hmm. um, the people who bought the aloe have really loved it. So Mm -hmm. it's been, thank you for continuing to have that available to us. Oh, thank you so much. Um, until next time, blessings to you. You too. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed that episode today on the Dr. Haley Show. Make sure to hit subscribe on whichever platform you are listening to this. If this episode made you think of someone, go ahead, take a screenshot and share this exact episode with them. You can catch the show notes for this episode on www.drhaley.com. If you want to geek out with Dr. Michael Haley on other radical health topics, be sure to check out his YouTube channel where he posts exclusive video content. All the details are at www.drhaley.com and we can't wait to hang out with you on the next episode.